where magic and reality collide. An ancient organization has vowed to defend us from unspeakable evil. They are the Legendary Legion. That's not not even close. Uh, the Society of uh. the Federation of the Guardians of the Gate. Seriously? Who are you guys? We're the librarians. Um, really? Yep, you got it. Okay. Once upon a time, the world was filled with magic. Your job is to make sure that what remains doesn't fall into the wrong hands. Occasionally hallucinate. I'm gonna go punch something. Stealing artifacts, dodging monsters. I like a challenge. You people don't appreciate art! You're a very odd cowboy. You ready for anything? Define anything. Ninjas, Minotaurs. dragons, flying sword, guys, company, ghosts, Santa Claus, UFO. Run! Judas Priest! Welcome back to Who and Company. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. Our first new guest of Season 4 is a writer and artist who's had quite a year in the world of Doctor Who. Sophie Isles joins the company to chat about her love of Doctor Who, Ian and Barbara, and her many, many projects. After that, we're paying our late fees and heading back to the stacks with Sophie's pick of the month, the TNT series, The Librarians. And all that's coming up right after this. Hi. I'm Ezekiel Jones. To learn more about the problems of ghost containment and the futilities of man's plight against the old gods, the librarian team suggests these books. The Call of Cthulhu, The Grimoire, and The Necronomicon. These and many other books are available at your bookstore or local library. Unless they've been swallowed up in the infinite darkness. Visit them. They'll be happy to have you read more about it. Think like a librarian. It may save your life. Our guest today is a talented and multifaceted member of the Doctor Who fandom. She's a writer, an artist, and has excellent taste in television. Sophie Isles, welcome to Who and Company. Hello, thank you. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. Uh, this has been uh, a long time coming. It's sort of one of those things where I think really early on, 
uh, in the last year or two that we were kind of coming up with lists of folks, your name came up quite a few times. And it yeah. just seems like this month is the perfect time to bring you on. Uh, and we're really excited to have you here. Uh, we usually wait quite a bit into the conversation to start talking about Doctor Who. We like to kind of catch up, but so much of the conversation about your life and your work and everything revolves around Doctor Who. So I don't see any reason why to like wait at all. So here you go. When did you first start watching Doctor Who? So I was 15 when the show came back. So 2005, living in uh, the United Kingdom, and everyone was buzzing about it, but I had no interest whatsoever, <laughs> which is strange to say when you say it out loud now to think that there was a time that I had no interest. Um, yeah, I, I was far more interested in Harry Potter and Lords of the Rings at the time and sci-fi. Well, I had my Star Wars phase when I was much younger, so Doctor Who kind of slipped me by. I think I felt at the time I was a bit too old for it. If I had been maybe a couple of years younger, I think it really would have fed into my imagination. But because I was about to sit my what the English call the GCSE, GCSEs and start looking at um, colleges and uh, university and stuff like that around that time. It didn't really hit me. Um, so, yeah, so I actually started watching Doctor Who when I went to university and I had quite a few friends who'd seen it and had fallen in love with it or had been in the wilderness years and then watched it with family members. And I was referred to as canine as a joke at the <laughs> anime society that I was in. And obviously the joke didn't land with me because I didn't understand why I was being compared to a robot dog because I had to explain who it was. And long story short, uh, three of my friends were just like, no, you'd love it. You'll, you'll love it. You have to watch it with us. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm happy to watch stuff. But my parents weren't really into TV series growing up. And we were much more into our blockbuster films, our 80s classics, all that sort of stuff. So we never really watched TV. <laughs> and it turned out that my parents both had a kind of aversion to Doctor Who for different reasons. I think my dad didn't really like it. He remembers Pertwee and he remembers the cars, which makes sense because he's really into cars. And my mum uh, was teased violently by her sisters um, because she was always told that the Daleks would come to get her, so she never watched it. So, we, uh, you know, I had a family who just weren't interested. So my friend sat me down, and I think it was... No, it was the Waters of Mars episode that was my first real Doctor Who episode that I sat down beginning, middle, end, and absorbed it all with three quite hardcore fans. And... Um, yeah, it's a strange one to start with. I'll give you that. <laughs> That's why that was my first Doctor Who. Um, and afterwards, watching his Time Lord Victorious and me is going, did that woman just kill herself? And all these things that are just going through my mind as a first timer. My friend was like, do you want to watch any more? I've got the DVDs. So I ended up watching back from Eccleson through to Tennant's last um, whatever they had. And I think... I don't know, they found some copies that I could watch so I could catch up. And um, I was I was all set and ready to go when, um, when the end of time happened. So I don't know how much work I got done apart from watching Doctor Who in like the th two months that I had <laughs> between the Waters <laughs> of Mars and his last um, two, two episodes. But yeah, so that was how I started watching Doctor Who and it 
kind of become a disease that kind of <laughs> continued since then. <laughs> kind of was very casual, uh, really, at the beginning. I watched it when it was on, but it wasn't like an obsession, which I think it is kind of like now. I don't mind calling it an obsession. It is something that takes up a lot of my life. Um, yeah, it just... <laughs> I was very casual and then for some reason when Capaldi turned up um, it suddenly became a thing of no this is something I'm really investing a lot of time in and the rest is history I guess it just yeah it's it's still uh, still part of my everyday life now and probably will for the rest of my life. What about the show um, made you like it and stick with it? I think it's the just adventure side of it. I, I grew up loving things like Back to the Future and Indiana Jones. And in a way, I feel like those two things crossed over or something that the Doctor Who Doctor Who does quite brilliantly, like the time travel and the sci-fi and the intensity of the adventures and the relationships with the characters. But then the Indiana Jones stuff has the historical elements, the artifacts, the kind of magic that comes with it these legends and things and it's all kind of twisted together in one bundle and just gone there you go add a add a like a, a teaspoon of britishness and a teaspoon of this and you've kind of got doctor who for me and i've and i kind of love it for that reason it's very uh fun to watch it's very easy to watch i don't i don't struggle to watch doctor who like i can do with some dramas and it's just easy to sit back and relax and be entertained by there's something very entertaining about doctor who that i don't get with very many other shows like unless it's something like a comedy which is set out to make you laugh there's something about doctor who that just entertains you on every kind of level it has the comedy it has the drama has the you know sometimes it has the silly monsters and sometimes it has the terrifying monsters and sometimes it has really in-depth plots and sometimes it doesn't but it doesn't it always kind of encompasses a sense of fun and adventure and childlike wonder which i love about it if that helps yeah um so who's your favorite doctor and why so my favorite doctor really is peak paldi uh he became my favourite Doctor um, during his Series 9 run. I don't know why this is. I think there's a lot of like a personal and emotional reasons for that. But basically, um, my nan was very unwell. And at that time in the series, he started grieving the loss of Clara. And I think something about that storyline, whilst I know looking back now, isn't some of the strongest Who that I've ever watched for something about that resonated with me in such a deep and intense way that I ended up realising how much I loved this Doctor. Uh, I was actually able to tell <laughs> Capaldi uh, to his face um, that, you know, that his Doctor um, was really important to me and all that stuff. When um, Series 9 was released here in the UK, they did a big signing and uh, you could get your Series 9 box set signed and I went all the way all the way into London, because I don't live in London. I went into London and um, got it signed and told him, and he turned to me with the most humble look on his face and was like, isn't that what television's for? Isn't it there to comfort and take care of 
you know, it's it's there to entertain, but also to take care of you and to help you escape if you require it. So I think all those reasons really do make him my favourite Doctor. Um, I, my other favourite, if you're going to call it my other favourite, like literally just underneath, is probably William Hartnell, just because when I discovered the Hartnell era, I just fell in love with this this kind of crotchety, visceral old man <laughs> who actually is so much more than that. But that's what he appears on the surface. And perhaps that's why I like Capaldi so much because I feel like his doctor isn't everything he originally appears. Meeting him for a first time is actually quite difficult. But as you go along with their journey, you realise that there's so much more to this character underneath that initial kind of grumpy tone and I particularly find that with Hartnell so I think in a way they draw but it's easier for me to love Capaldi due to the fact that it was him who made me fall in love with Doc 2 uh, where Hartnell I've I've fallen in love with gradually over time over the last few years that I've been able to start watching so yeah. I always find it interesting how um, folks who usually have pretty easy access to the modern series due to streaming but the classic series is a little harder to come by. Maybe not so much in the UK, where I, I think that guess the DVDs haven't gone out of print. Um, but how did you come across the classic series? Did you uh, kind of investigate on your own based off of what you had seen of the modern stuff, or did you have friends who introduced you to specific episodes? Did you go on uh, the pilgrimage, as it's sometimes called? You know what. It, it... It's an odd one. I think I had a mix of lots of different things. I had a few friends who showed me, um, we did like uh, watching parties. Like I think it's a, it's something called like rabbit with a dot in the middle. And we used to watch, like I think I watched The Horns of Nyman and Remembrance of the Daleks the first time that way, where friends really wanted to share, oh, I really fancy watching this episode tonight and I can stream it from this and we can have like a watch party as it were. And this was, what, probably about four or so years ago. And so some of my first classic stories aren't even ones I I, I own now on DVD <laughs> that I would like to watch again. Um, and they, really, it was it, it was there for the memes. Like everyone who was watching it had already seen it. So I'm, I'm, like, trying to pay attention. Everyone's, like, chatting. A bit like the Doctor Who on Twitch thing. Everyone's, like, chatting on the side. And I'm, like, trying to pay attention because I have no idea what's going on. Um we did have, uh, for a very brief period of time, Netflix, I think when it was still quite new, did have the classic series on there, but they only had like one story for each Doctor. I think it was like a kind of, it was very strange. The Aztecs was what they had for Hartnell. And for some reason, they'd cut the beginning off or something. So I tried watching it, wanting to watch more, and I was very confused, so I switched it off. So it's funny thinking about that now. This must have been in like 2011, maybe 2012. It was, you know, it was, it's definitely early days of Netflix suddenly becoming this big kind of mega streaming service. Um, so I think really the way I got into the classic series was starting to listen to Big Finish. So I had a lot of friends who were like, you would really enjoy the classic series. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to watch some more of it, but I haven't got access to the DVDs. And coming from uh, a place of when I was um, at university, we uh, I wasn't really into pirating stuff. And I had lots of student friends who were like really into pirating things. And I was like, well, I'm about to go into an industry basically where that could undercut 
my job so I'm not really into pirating so if I want to watch something for the first time I like to buy it and um, my friends were like well could we lend you some Big Finish to listen to because I think you'd really enjoy it and then it might force you almost to want to listen and watch more Hartnell stuff and buy some of your own things and obviously we would then like share stuff but um, my friend linked me to the Rocketman uh, Companion Chronicle I think it was Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And I just fell in love so much with it, just there and then. I was. I remember where I was sat. I remember how I felt. I remember what I was doing. I was working um, at an animation studio at the time, working on a, as a production assistant, and I was having a really tough time. And I was sat there listening to the Rocketmen with tears in my eyes. Mm-hmm. But like, so halfway through, there's like a really dramatic moment, and I was just like, my, my eyes were just full of tears and I was like I need to watch these I need to watch more of these characters that I'm suddenly so invested in so um luckily so luckily I was living in Cardiff at the time and I worked next to the Doctor Who experience so with my first pay packet I think I'd only been there a few months I think it was like yeah I think it was my first pay packet for that job I went and spent 60 odd pounds on big finish and then i spent uh, quite a lot of money on the dvds brand new at the doc 2 experience shop that they had and it just kind of developed from there so even now i'm still building up a very meager doctor who dvd collection i'm doing my best but i have most of the heart ones now so at least we're there with that um and i just watch them a lot i love the heart ones um but yes, so basically anything with William Russell in, I own on Big Finish. And I think there's one I'm missing, but I can't remember that which one it is off the top of my head. But I have listened to them all, I think, now. Um, and that was all due to a friend saying, I think you'll like this, which is quite fun and rewarding. But also, I, I did a lot of stuff on Tumblr at the time and just seeing what people were watching and what people wanted. So I, I ended up watching a lot of Tom Baker because I had friends who were really into Tom. So I watched a lot of like Leela's run whilst also listening to Gallifrey, the spin-off for the first time. And only really having that as a context was kind of strange. I listened to Gallifrey before I was introduced to Leela. And then I, they were, I was like, oh, I like Leela. Oh, watch this thing. So it's a very... I, I, come, I come from all different avenues. I even I mentioned this to Lou Jameson when I met her. I was just like, you know, I kind of got introduced to Leela through Gallifrey. And she was like, that's really exciting. Did how, how was that? I was like, well, it was really interesting because obviously a lot of people see her as a savage warrior, the and everything that you have within the context of her being with Tom. But her relationship with Romana and Narvin and stuff in the Gallifrey spinoff, it's very different. Like, she plays a very different character. She's not so... She's obviously learnt from the Doctor by this point, and she's been on Gallifrey a while within the series. So she's a bit different. Obviously, Lou is a bit older and all this stuff. But it was interesting. She was like, do you imagine her wearing the costume? Because obviously, Leela was wearing her like Amazonian kind of costume. And like, well, actually, I did, because I'd already seen that picture. So that's all I had. <laughs> I had the Amazonian Leela in my head, but not really her as an actress I just heard her as in audio so yeah it was an interesting experience my my introduction to Doctor Who has been a bit of a whirlwind in that way I was very lucky to have quite nice guiding friends who were not judgmental that I hadn't seen everything and were just happy to share with me their love of their favourite companions and characters which then led me to 
want to find out more about the show and it was really nice and rewarding well speaking about companions um you know uh, i first became aware of you and your art after you submitted uh, quite a few pieces to the children of time anthology that i was helping edit uh, with alan seiler um (laughs) which was kind of brilliant it was it's so nice to i was just flipping through it today just going through we have such a amazing collection of talented writers and talented artists and it it's so i feel like everyone has brought such a different take onto each one of the companions i do want to talk about your art uh you have mentioned ian chesterton uh william russell um or already um is ian your favorite companion i would say he is my favorite companion but to be honest when it comes to ian i don't really see much of a difference with Barbara either so they kind of right. come as a set sure. so Ian and Barbara as a set are my favorite um there's something about them within the the Hartnell era I mean obviously I love the Hartnell era but it's really them that I love with Hartnell and I, I even like Susan and Vicky I love equally for different reasons I just really enjoy it but those first two series of Doctor Who um are some of my favorite pieces of media that exist and it's just so strange to say because it was made you know almost 50 years ago now um oh sorry over 50 years ago and it's just there's something about these two teachers who have been flung into a situation and they are just doing their best every time to be humane and kind and deal with the situation they're in. I mean, the first episode, they, they're, I mean, okay, they're spying on a student, but they're, they're concerned <laughs> about her because she's a bit odd. Yes, maybe you wouldn't do that now as a teacher, because I have been a teacher and we have discussed about odd children and there's usually something behind it, but you wouldn't go stalk a child home. Um, but, you know, 60s, I can't really vouch for what went on then strange red tape that there is but I I love that they were concerned enough to be like we should make sure she's okay they'd probably be sold differently now but the idea that they wanted to check and see how she was and like Ian teasing Barbara about the fact she's actually just being nosy and Barbara's like no I'm not and you you get this really nice relationship between the two of them whether you think that they are flirting or if they're friendly or whatever you believe it to be and then as the show progresses and how they deal with that situation and how they deal with just everything, really, there's so much that they get thrown into. I mean, you've got Barbara pretending to be a god at one point and wanting to change history. You've got um, Ian's almost murdered countless times and put on trial countless times. They get made into Honey, I Shrunk the Kids like tiny tiny like (laughs) not even as big as your thumb and they're having to deal with that situation barbara's poisoned by pesticide they get involved in the reign of terror they on loads of different alien worlds so about all the big finish stuff that that happens and believe me the big finish stuff really puts them in peril so they are in peril all the time and yet they're able to kind of go it's okay we we've managed what's next hopefully we'll get home soon and it's just such a nice kind of feeling that yes okay it's almost a monster of the week progression where they're having to deal with whatever comes their way but 
the Doctor's not going to get them home. It's not like now with the new series where the Doctor might accidentally drop them off an hour late or, <laughs> you know, the Doctor <laughs> has no control. They have no idea if they're getting home. This is now their life until things change. And I, I find that quite fascinating for them as characters. That must be so difficult to to know that you could never potentially go home because this diddery old man can't control his time machine <laughs> and you just don't know what's going to be through those doors and just kind of having to cope with it and dealing with it and like so Ian always kind of reacts in a really skeptical way he well always he he's quite sarcastic with the doctor he does kind of fight him on things and I like that about him that he won't he won't take no for an answer. He's like, well, what's happening now? What are we going to do? And then Barbara's kind of the more open-hearted character that, you know, she she takes things in her stride, but she's also more accept, um, accepting of that childish-like wonder of, oh, we're here. And it's like the two together are a very good and strong unit. And uh, I think that's why I love them so much. And, yeah, really, that's... That's why I love them. There's, there's more. I could say so much more. There, there's <laughs> just there aren't enough words in the world to describe my love for Ian and Barbara. But um, I just any th- any time we get new content at all, if Big Finish do new things, or if they're mentioned in any sort of media, I I am always very happy to know that they're acknowledged and remembered because they are just such brilliant first companions for a Doctor that's been around so long to have. So. It's hard to it. not be in the Ian and Barbara fan club. It's, yeah. It comes very easily. It, I mean, they're just so wonderful. I mean, even like the Doctor's going to hit a caveman with a rock and they're like, you can't do that. Even though he's kidnapped them and they're like trying to tell him like, you know, you can't do that. We need to take care of this person who kind of was trying to, you know, get them kind of locked up and all this sort of Start, I mean, my, my memory of that, that particular episode is quite blurry, but from my memory, all the cavemen are against them at first. So the fact that they're like, well, this person was against us, but we can't leave him here. Now he's been injured by, I think it was a tiger that he got hurt by or something, something that was out in the forest. And even though they are really helping an enemy... The, the the doctor's almost like, no, we got to kill him with a rock. It's like, no, we don't have to kill him with a rock. And it's just this very humane way of dealing with things. And I love that kind of represents how the doctor changes from there on. And it's it's just great. It's all great. Uh, I just want to talk about your art. Oh, yes. You know, for, I, for those who are not privileged enough to follow you on Twitter or other social media i mean like it's so nice to see the portraits and the pieces that you you publish so frequently uh, how did you get started in in art is that something that was encouraged by your parents is it something you developed early in life later in life it's an odd one actually so a bit like a doctor who i kind of <laughs> my life is just me kind of figuring out what I like and then coming back to it later or not coming back to it later but with art it's a bit different I I had a very artistic grandmother and she she was really into oils and painting and stuff like that but I was used I was terrible I was honestly terrible and I'm not saying that to be like oh woe is me look at this kind of humble painter it wasn't like that at all I was really not very good but um <laughs> I got to secondary school and one of my best friends liked to draw anime 
in the back of her art book. And I would watch her do this with such envy, such envy. I was just like, that's really good. How do you do that? She was like, oh, well, I've got some drawing books. I was like, I want to do that. And I was just like, I'm going to copy you. Um, I was actually really more into writing uh, when I was growing up. But the art was just very cathartic. And once I kind of got my head around, oh, okay, it's more about construction and kind of understanding what you're looking at. And because I guess I had an artistic nan, there was there was possibly some sort of inkling there that I could do it if I put my energy into it. But art at the end of the day is just practice. If you see some of the early stuff I put online, it is terrible. But I keep practicing and keep drawing so that's what I enjoy doing when I need to kind of uh, de-stress from a day or if I fancy doing something that isn't writing because writing is quite stressful for me. I love doing it but it is also stressful. I'll, I'll go to my iPad and draw or I'll go sit on my notepad and doodle and I'll always end up doodling before I do any writing um, which is quite a strange way. So um, I, I was copying my friend at secondary school and then I was also very good with computers, so I ended up doing digital art and looking at animation, because uh, I loved animation from anime to Disney to Pixar and all that stuff. I, I adored it growing up. Um, and I ended up kind of learning how to use Flash, which at the time, this was oh, 15, 20, 50, yeah, 15 years ago, like Flash had only really started becoming really that popular and being taught in schools. So we were quite lucky. We were like quite an early course to do like a digital media kind of course. And um, I learned how to do that. I was still a terrible drawer, but I could use the software. So I, in my head, I was like, well, animators don't need to be able to draw. They just need to be able to use the software. So I ended up doing animation as a university degree and learned that you needed to be really good at drawing and I wasn't. So I then started writing again. So I've had this kind of really up and down relationship with, with drawing and writing where drawing has been the thing that has kept me kind of sane and something that uh, I just enjoy doing. So when, when I draw a lot, you know that I have a deadline because I'm very <laughs> stressed. I'm very stressed with my writing, so I want to draw because it's something that I can I can do kind of not um without thinking but I just find the kind of the process of drawing really cathartic and quite fun where with writing trying to get what's in my head down on paper I love doing it like the process is difficult but the result is better where with the artwork I love doing it and then I kind of look at the end result and go oh it's okay but then everyone else seems to like it, so it kind of works in my favour. But with writing, I do kind of, I have to kind of drag it out of me. Where, where, where um, <clears throat> with artwork, I do very much have to, I, I do very much enjoy just like doodling Peter Capaldi or something, and then it becomes something else. Um, which is why uh, when you mentioned the Children of Time anthology, I actually really wanted to write for it more than anything. And... Um, I remember I was actually out with some friends and I had no internet. And when the uh, original kind of call out was announced for Children of Time, I was, I think a friend of mine who was also in the book, James Boyerchuk, was like, you, you should apply for it. And I was like, yeah, but my, my you know, my favourite characters are taken. I don't think I'd, I'd have anything else to say. And he was like, well, why don't you apply with your art as well? Your art's good. And I was like, oh, okay. So I applied 
to see what other characters hadn't been written for yet and said that I'd happily draw some bits and pieces, which obviously worked to my favour because everyone was just like, oh, you draw as well? Oh, oh well, what have you drawn? So I said I would, um, I could draw for the character. The char- I, I wrote a story about Riggsy. Um, so I wrote a story about Riggsy and drew Riggsy. And then I drew Sarah Jane, K-9, drew something for the Brigadier, I think. I, I think I did about six or seven pictures because I just was just like, oh, well, I, I've, I've started doodling these. I'll just finish them. <laughs> so and that, that's kind of how that happened. And, that's, you know, it's a very odd thing. Um, well, they came in and were like, oh, we're using all of these. <laughs> I was glad everyone liked them. I was, I was really <laughs> panicking about it. But, yeah. There was a I'm brief glad. conversation of should we only allow one piece of artwork per per person and we're like we looked over and went nope nope just go for it go nuts <laughs> that's cool well speaking of your writing you've got articles in the newest doctor who magazine can you tell us what they're about and how that process got rolling yeah um so it do- does jump back slightly to giving my artwork over to anthologies so charity anthologies and things like that because i wanted to write but people knew me for my artwork and it's something that I'm still kind of dealing with now where I am actually writing things, but people are like, oh, are you selling your prints at an event? And I'm like, yes, but I do write too. So it's like this like quite weird balance that I'm still getting used to. But it kind of, the artwork led me to um, do a commission for Simon Guria. So Simon Guria, uh, for a very small fanzine, he did for some friends at the pub <laughs> wanted me to draw him uh, a picture of the macra with the second doctor so i was like well this is how much it would cost and if you're interested i was like re- like really like taken aback the simon gurrier of all people <laughs> who wrote the time travelers which is one of my favorite bbc books because it's an ian and barbara centric book um wanted you know a piece of my artwork anyway he really loved it he gave me feedback um, on my original drafts and all this sort of stuff just for the, the picture and then we ended up like meeting in person and having a chat because he said oh well, why don't you come along to the pub when I'm giving out the fanzines and I can tell everyone that you drew these so we ended up chatting a lot and he's been really kind of supportive because my mum passed away last year he was really supportive about that so we've been like talking to each other and I said you know it's it's quite hard to get people to take my writing seriously and this was like before a lot of things kind of start kicking off with other companies and he was like well why don't you apply for Doctor Who magazine and I was like oh I don't know because I hadn't written non-fiction that well I've done a lot of fiction by that point or was like in the middle of writing a lot of fiction but non-fiction hadn't really touched and then he kind of offered to be my mentor so he um, put me in contact with the editors of Doctor Who magazine who were like no we'd love to have some new blood new talent it'd be lovely to have you on board we've heard nice things about you and um yeah so my first uh article was an interview with sophie caldry who did the art but uh, art for the still books uh for series four and for now for series five that have just come out and she um she was already a friend of mine. We'd met at an event because we're both artists. So it was almost kind of like, it was kismet really that the interviewer was an artist called Sophie interviewing <laughs> someone who was an artist called Sophie. It was almost too good to be true. Um, so we had a really nice like interview um, done with her. And then in the same 
uh, in the same magazine, which wasn't supposed to be the same magazine, but another one, I ended up doing a review for uh, Sill, The Devil's Seeds of Arador. Uh, <laughs> and that was kind of a last minute, are you interested in writing this review? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I did those two. And I also was then asked just before Christmas if I would review the new Ace book um, by Sophie Aldred, which was amazing because I, I received the book like six six weeks before everybody else oh, because wow. they had and i was just like oh I sat there in my house reading this beautiful hardback book which was all mine and i didn't know really who else had, had read it and it was really like quite nerve-wracking and exciting because it was felt like i was putting down those those first fingerprints on what people could perceive it as because obviously when you're writing a review for something you're helping put a perception on what to expect uh, or this expectation and obviously I'm putting it in Doctor Who magazine which is something that a lot of people read and people were going to read my review if they were interested in reading the book so it was really quite nerve-wracking um, but no I, re I mean I enjoyed the book <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was relieved I enjoyed the book because I know Sophie quite well we run into each other at quite a few events so I was like well I want to make sure that I do the review justice when I'm I'm honest but also like uh, and critical but also ex really express my joy for the book and I think that came across so yeah so that that's kind of how that's happened really in, in regarding the non-fiction writing that I've done that's kind of how it went <laughs> well let's talk about fiction writing too because um you wrote a piece for Big Finish uh you know it's it's come full circle hasn't it um they big finish has produced something that you have written how amazing does that make you feel well i cried in the loo <laughs> when, when i listened to it for the first time i was uh yeah it's it's very odd with big big finish mean a hell of a lot to me and i think that's no surprise to anyone that's um ever been on my on my twitter because even before i was able to have the opportunity to work with them I was a, a avid supporter of their output. I mean, they're basically creating licensed fan fiction in a sense, and they're able to explore things that, or explore characters and places and monsters in a way that the new series can't because they're doing new things that, you know, with budgets and things, it might be difficult for the new series to do and all that sort of stuff. So they're able to, and also, actors who are now no longer on the show are still able to have kind of life after Doctor Who which I think is a really fascinating and wonderful thing to be able to do so people like Peter Purvis and Fraser Hines and Lou Jameson and Tom Baker they all get to come back and relive these wonderful characters that they've been and that's and it's almost like I think most of the classic era like the classic Doctors all but I believe Pertwee and Troughton and Hartnell have been involved with Big Finish now, which is pretty exciting. When you think that so many of the Doctors went, yeah, I'll do this, and you now have them doing these new stories. And and I think for me, because it is so personal, it was really one of the ways I got into the classic Doctor Who stuff. And it was really something that got me through quite horrible time. Um, I have this immense love and respect for... These people who day in, day out have to create new stories and new content, keep people actively kind of listening. And I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. And um, 
I entered the uh, Paul Sprague competitions. Uh, so I entered three times. No, twice. Or was it three times? No, it was twice. I entered twice. So the first time I entered was the first time they ran it. And I entered a seventh doctor and a story and it was pretty terrible, but I entered it anyway as a kind of, I've not done this before. I've not entered a competition for writing before. I might as well give it a go. This was 2017, I believe. And then the next year, by that point, I'd kind of absorbed a little bit more classic era stuff. And I was really into Ian and Barbara. So I wrote a kind of Ian centric short trip story and I didn't hear anything back from that. So I was like, okay. No, uh, so no, so it was 2016, 2017, and then I entered a third time. So the third time I entered a 12th Doctor story because that was the first time they allowed new Doctors to be included for the Paul Sprague. And obviously the 12th Doctor being my favourite, you know, borderline favourite, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a 12th Doctor story. So I pitched an idea for a story that I won't tell you the synopsis for because it's going to be in our in the charity anthology that I'm doing at the moment, which I'll touch on later. But um, <clears throat> I did I did this uh, short story idea. I pitched it. I expected to hear nothing as I'd heard nothing every other time. And I had an email from Ian Atkins, who was running it at the time, telling me that he was really touched by my story and had it, it hadn't won. It hadn't got through to the final but he wanted me to keep writing and that he really loved what I'd written. So I cried in the loo <laughs> at this beautiful rejection letter that I'd been given. And it it kind of really helped. It really helped me realise that, no, no, so obviously something's going right because I last two times I didn't get asked. This time I, 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 you know, I actually got a rejection letter. So that's good. Um and then that same year, I actually got to meet Alfie Shaw, who's one of the, the producer of the short trips now. And it was funny because we, so there's a, a event here, Big Finish Day, that they do every year. Um, I highly recommend getting to go to it, by the way. It's a wonderful, small, intimate event here in the UK in Derby, just, just slightly up north. <laughs> and um, yeah, really lovely place. Obviously, the big Finnish producers and writers and everyone goes to it. And they, they do a really lovely intimate event and they did a panel on writing. So I'm sat basically in the front row, like taking notes. But I asked a question which was quite blunt, really. I, I kind of asked if you don't take unsolicited scripts due to copyright issues, which makes perfect sense. Because if you send a story saying, I want you to read this script I've written for you on I don't know, Eighth Doctor meeting the Daleks, but then an Eighth Doctor and the Dalek story comes out, you can then sue them. There's no proof that they didn't, you know, open the letter or whatever. So they have this whole concept of we don't actually take like scripts you've already written unless we ask you to pitch them. So my question really was, well, okay, if you don't take unsolicited scripts, how do you find new writers? Because I didn't know how they found new writers apart from the short trip competition and they misunderstood my question <laughs> so he believed that I was asking about what they were looking for in the writing so they went off on a bit of a tangent talking about they're looking for heart and character and soul and all that stuff and then later on in the day they actually um so Alfie realized that he'd misunderstood my question so he came over and he was just like I 
I obviously blanked. I misunderstood your question. Thinking back on it, I definitely got it wrong. Um, you were asking about how to send, how to become a new writer. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that is what I was asking. And uh, we had a nice chat and I explained that I was writing original fiction for publishers and that I was interested in writing for Big Finish if possible. And he said, well, send me an email uh, next year when we're uh, around this time period we'll be looking for new writers for our subscriber short trips and uh, we'll see if you can picture something so obviously I leave that conversation shaking and my legs <laughs> going and uh, I was just very excited and then I didn't email because my original work that I was hoping to use as a this is what I've done hadn't come out yet but he emailed me instead and said hi <laughs> don't know if you remember me um did you fancy pitching still so i ended up pitching um what you now know as a song for running which is now available on uh blood on satan's claw as a subscriber short trip so it's like your bonus story and it's a 12th doctor adventure and it's sweet and something i kind of love about doctor who kind of a sweet kind of standalone story and um I'm sure you guys have questions about it, which I will ask, answer. But yeah, so that's that kind of how it happened. And when their pitch was like approved, I cried in the loo. <laughs> 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 and then they told me, oh, do you want to go into the recording? I didn't oh. cry in the loo that time, but I did get to go in, into... It wasn't actually the studio they do all their big finishes in. I think they have three different ones they go to. This was a smaller one, but it was it was lovely. I got to meet the actor who records it a, a wonderful guy whose name has now escaped me and it's gonna hurt me that it's i Critch even critchlow critchlow yes yeah, sorry because everyone calls him critch so i remembered <laughs> him as critch so stephen critchlow did my story alfie shaw was there and the director neil was there and um it was a lovely day of just them saying my story out loud in the booth and we sat there completely shell-shocked and listening to you know him putting on Capaldi's accent Which and putting great. on my character's accent and it was great it was so fun to listen to I was just sat there like this is amazing um yeah and then it was over and <laughs> and it was just like full, yeah like it was literally full circle I got an email out of the blue in December a bit earlier than I expected because um, Blood at Satan's Claw, I thought, would be more of a Christmas release. But they released it much earlier in December than I expected. And they were just like, surprise! Here you go! And I was just like, oh my god, my story! And I think there's something very strange about listening to the Doctor Who titles, which obviously were Capaldi's theme with by Sophie Isles <laughs> written on it. Uh, actually being said out loud was very, 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 very cool. Uh, I, I have no I have no other words apart from it was just the coolest experience ever and I was sat at work because I work in university one day a week and I was just sat at work just close to tears not sure what to do with myself for the rest of the day I, was like, I just want to go home and listen to this now um, so yeah so that very exciting and can't believe it even now well, uh, I I recently got a chance to listen to it and, and really enjoyed it I definitely like the personal touch the story took uh it was it's i like those moments those intimate moments between the doctor and and like one or two folks where where the story revolves around um just a personal relationship i thought was very cool i really enjoyed it thank you thank you very much 
Speaking of stories, um, we as at the time of recording, the finale for series twelve is going to be coming out in like five days. So we we have eleven episodes of series twelve that have that have come out with Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. I'd like to just briefly before we start talking about your television program, because I'm really excited about talking about that. But I just I, I'm kind of curious to hear what you you've thought about. Um, this series, especially the last four or five episodes that that have come out, and I'm hoping this, um, of course, also to to Brent and myself, just to kind of chat about it since we haven't we haven't done so. Mm. Um, how are you enjoying this this most recent series of Doctor Who? Uh, finding finding words are really difficult because I have a bit of a love hate relationship with it, and it's not that I hate it necessarily, but I get quite frustrated as someone i guess who feels like as a as a writer myself i i sometimes feel that there are some really lovely character moments but some quite frustrating plot lines and uh, also because i'm my husband's a storyboard artist so he spends so we'll we'll be sat together watching it and i'll i'll be enjoying myself but then as i'm going through i'm I'm analysing it probably more than I should be because of that background that I have. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I have to force myself to switch off, which is a, a bit of a shame because I don't want to sit there analysing my favourite TV show. I want to enjoy it. But I feel like sometimes I do kind of sit there judging it more than I know than I should, which is a problem, <laughs> like something I, I want to feel better about. But saying that... Um, I did watch, I did really enjoy the um, haunting of Villa Dati, don't, I, I can't, I can't pronounce them, sorry, the the Mary Shelley, Lord Byron based one, mm-hmm. which was really good, I really did enjoy that one, I, really nice sense of horror, good use of space, the characters all had something to do, it was interesting, um, and the introduction of Ashad was really cool, um, and I did really enjoy last week's there were some elements of it that I was a bit I think I think the element of the surprise ending at the end felt a little bit too forced like I, I don't know about you but it felt like a kind of and there we go yeah <laughs> and that was quite frustrating for me well it would have been great to kind of build up to something a lot more climactic um but I mean, I really enjoy Jodie Whittaker and I really do enjoy the fam, as it were. As a, I mean, I have no, I, I mean, I Hartnell's my doctor. I have no issue with four, four, four people in a TARDIS. I actually want it all the time. But um, I do feel like sometimes some of the plots, they don't really think about giving the characters a, a lot to do. And it does kind of frustrate me. So I'm like, it doesn't take too much to give everyone things to do and that will be something that I'll touch on with the librarians when we do talk about it is that I do feel like sometimes the script either puts too much emphasis on the plot and then gives the characters very little to do or they try and try and make every character equal which you can't do it's much sometimes much better to focus on each one or like focus on one of them for an episode but kind of make them more of a family unit where sometimes I feel like they're just a couple of people just thrust together that haven't really formed the same connections as 
perhaps we want, which is why we seek it out. We, like, I feel like, particularly with like the fandom, there are people who really enjoy it because they're seeking out, like they're reading between the lines so much to kind of create their own versions of these characters, which aren't really there. And I feel that's quite sad. That's kind of how I feel about it. But, you know, people have proved me wrong. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, you're always it's... allowed to feel the way you want about a program, yeah. you know, regardless yeah. of what anybody else says, that's, that's, that's your relationship with the show. And, and, uh, I think that that's where anytime we review an episode, I, I try to format like, this is my opinion. You don't mm. have to feel that way. <laughs> a lot of yeah. people. You know, uh, a lot of people like or dislike things that I, you know, I have the opposite of feelings for. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I've, the, the plotting on uh, quite a few of these episodes have, um, like, I really like the idea. I don't always like the execution. And uh, with the, um, what I, I think is Villa Viet, uh, Diodati. Yeah. Um, uh, no, sorry. Uh, what's last week? The Ascension of the Daleks. Yeah. The Ascension of the Cybermen. <laughs> I can already hear the reviews of this episode. It's clear that Drew is not a true Doctor Who fan. Um, <laughs> I really like the pacing and ascension of the Cybermen. It felt very cinematic and it was very nice. And then mm. suddenly it ended. Um, mm. And it did feel like what we really wanted to see was a two hour long movie rather than two separate uh, episodes. But, um, but you know, like there's there's so much to talk about with with Doctor Who, mm. and we and here's the thing: when we bring a guest on to the the podcast, we know that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of their fandom. So we ask our yeah. guests to bring on a show that isn't Doctor Who. Uh, you've already um, kind of given us a preview of of the show you've chosen, but could you tell us what uh, program you have chosen and tell us why you chose it? So I've chosen The Librarians, which is a, it's actually a spin-off of a movie series that was called, ah, oh, it's The Librarians and the, the Librarian and the Quest of the S- Spear. Spear, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it, I mean, it, I haven't actually seen the films, I've only seen the series. Um, and it's basically about four people who have kind of their own special talents. One of them is what they call a sin I can never pronounce it a synesthate which means that they when they see colors uh, so when they see numbers they see colors when they see faces they see kind of smell like they smell like you in a different yeah it's hard I, to explain. I have that too yeah it's yeah. I, I find it fascinating but they've got this main one of the main characters has it to a to a degree that they're almost like a super genius you've got like a kind of Basically, you've got like a kind of cowboy Indiana Jones-like character who actually is like obsessed with the English language and loves poetry and quite romantic, really. Underneath this kind of hard and brawling-like exterior, you've got Ezekiel Jones, who is, I believe, he's from New Zealand, but my memory is very, very vague on that. But he's like he's like a master thief. He can just he can steal anything. He can break any kind of technical code. He's very good with knowing exactly how to break into a place and how to do that without getting caught. And it's just a cheeky little little git, really. Um, <laughs> and we like him. You've got Eve, who is the kind of the ex. Um, I think she was 
think ex-CIA or FF or FBI. She was definitely army-based kind of character who's like their guardian. She takes care of these like three kind of geniuses, really. These three geniuses. And um, they kind of report to um, the original librarian, uh, Finn Carson, who is, again, a bit Indiana Jonesy, bit doctory, which is kind of something I was like kind of hinting at earlier, the things I love about TV shows is when you have like t so time travel meets indiana jones meets like childish wonder meets adventure meets lots of character relationships and that importance of that family kind of bond it's something that will always make me want to watch something and the librarians has it in abundance they have all of that together um so yeah it's about these five people who are trying to basically restore what's called the library which is where all the magical artifacts in the world are kind of kept safe so people can't be harmed by them um and in like the first series <clears throat> there's a whole thing where the magic then gets returned to earth which means that you know dragons and trolls and all these sort of things there's giants uh, storybooks of magic in them all these sort of different things happen <laughs> which they then have to kind of combat and control and they have a base called the annex which reminds me a lot of like a tardis console room and they uh, use that to go through a special magic door that allows them to go through to the different places that they hear that there's problems and it's just really fun and reminds me a lot of doctor who which is probably why i was recommended it in the first place and it's just fantastic um yeah when did you first watch it like how did you find out about it so i started watching it a year ago it was, well it was just uh just over a year ago a friend of mine who knew i really liked doctor who who was also one of the people i used to live watch doctor who with was telling me like how gutted he was that this show he liked had been cancelled and I was like, oh, that's a shame. And it's like, yeah, I think you'd really like it. It's called The Librarians. I was like, oh, I've, I think I've heard of the films before. He's like, no, you'd like it, seriously. And um, I kind of stumbled upon um, a copy of the DVD in C or CEX. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's like a secondhand DVD store that we have here in the UK. And um, it was it was very cheap to have just to, for the first few episodes so i was like oh, okay well, i'll tell you what i'll buy series one and if i like it i'll go out and buy some more so i started watching series one and i just fell in love with it completely and my my friends clubbed together and bought me series two and three and sent it to me from the set so they actually went on amazon bought it so it would arrive like a uk copy because they they live in the states themselves so they sent it over um it was like a really nice surprise to uh, receive the DVDs and then I bought series four for myself and I, I think I ended up watching them from I want to say like early January until probably the end of March and my husband and I would so we'd come home from work or whatever work we were doing we would make dinner and then we'd sit down and we'd watch an episode of librarians we'd watch it every night so we just watch it every night I think there was some uh, there was a bit of binge watching for me at one point. I did kind of binge a lot of it, but then uh, then my husband would be like, "Oh, I want to catch up," so then we just do it every night again. <laughs> so I get to watch a couple of the episodes <laughs> twice. Um, but yes, that's I think mean, that's how we watch TV in this house, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it, and it's something even now that I'm quite happy to revisit. I watched a couple of my 
fav- well, I watched some clips from my favourite episode yesterday and I watched one of my favourite episodes again today because I knew we were going to be talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's the excitement I get being with these characters again. It feels like coming home. It's a really nice feeling. It's really good fun. Brent, had you um, ever watched this before uh, talking about it for the show? No, I'd heard vaguely heard of this, uh, but I'd never watched it before this week. So uh, in preparation for this show, I watched the very first movie, uh, The Quest for the Spear, with Noah Wiley from ER, and Bob Newhart was in there. Yes. As as the first librarian, yeah. So um, I watched one of the episodes that you asked us to watch, and it was almost a totally different show. Mm. Um, the series is more of a team instead of one or two people, but mm. I enjoyed both because they were... They were fun without being silly and more in the vein of uh, Indiana Jones, like you said, and uh, Romancing romancing the Stone. Um, The series had a bit more of a Stargate vibe to it uh, than the movie did to me. Um, But I did enjoy the whole thing. Um, Really loved the characters. And uh, yeah, this will be one that I'll probably go back and and watch several more of. Definitely. It's so... Um, it was kind of sold to me with that the Indiana Jones aspect, and then, so I, I I watched from from the beginning of series one. I knew of the films, but what's quite nice is you can watch from series one without any previous context because they are very separate, like beasts, as it were. So if you know about Flynn Carson's character already, then it's fine because you're like, oh, oh, we met Flynn before. But if you don't know, they still introduce him well enough in the beginning of the pilot to kind of get you kind of up to speed with what he's like and what he's been doing on his own. And basically the requirement to have a team happens in the pilot because so much has happened within this first episode that kind of allows for, oh, wait, I need to fix things. Um, And yeah, it's just great fun. I think as well, because Librarians was made in 2014, obviously things... The way the TV is made is a bit different, perhaps, than when the movie was made as well. And like having kind of you actually have time to establish characters over a longer period of time than you would for a movie as well. It's been quite nice. Um, But yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Part of the reasons and this is one of the things that like the librarians. uh, I watched a couple of episodes before we reviewed the specific episodes because um, John Rogers, who put the show together, not the movies, but the show, um, aside from being uh, kind of an amazing gaming nerd, um, helped to create one of my all-time favorite shows, which is Leverage, which is a team of specialists who specifically work together to defeat greater evils. Uh, theirs is more of a heist show, so every episode is a heist, mm. and they're always taking... They take all of their... Um, so rather than uh, what librarians does, where they take stories from mythology and defeat specific items or be- specific monsters, they would take um, leverage. They would take um, crimes committed via the headlines, and they would combat them in this kind of day and age where, like, big business is just seems like this evil shadow over our over the world. This Robin Hood esque story really appeals to me. Um, mm good dynamics, great character work, and to, as soon as um, Leverage ended, 
I was reading an article of like, you know, what are you, do- what are all the actors doing? And Kristen Kane, who um, plays the hitter in Leverage, says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm doing this thing called librarians. Well, I'm a librarian. So a librarian uh, television show team of specialists solving magical items, I wanted to be Indiana Jones as a child, um, sounded perfect. And I think we, my wife and I watched the first pilot for it and it was just a little too campy for mm. for her tastes and I kind of wanted to watch more of it and just didn't get around to doing it until now um, so as soon as you suggested it and because it is available readily I think on Hulu in the States uh, I devoured a lot of episodes <laughs> uh, so I've, I've been watching quite a bit so I'm, I'm excited to, to chat a little bit more about it you've talked a little bit about kind of what appeals to you um on the show uh, one of the other things too and I, and I should be mentioned for anyone who hasn't watched this show and hasn't watched leverage is um all the writers for leverage are huge doctor who fans and i'd say about one in every five or six episodes there's a doctor who reference so like if the team goes mm. undercover oh, really? they'll go undercover as tom baker and lala ward you know like that that's their things <laughs> or there's that's a tardis awesome. in the background or someone has a dalek on their <clears throat> on their desk um it's usually and it's they do they, you know sometimes someone's wearing a long scarf it's 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 sometimes it's subtle you know what okay it's rarely subtle um so you can tell too that there's a there's a definite doctor who dna in the librarians with rooms bigger being bigger on the inside and portals to jumping to anywhere and um flynn carson's very much a a sort of Second Doctor meets more, um, almost Paul McGann Eighth Doctor kind of. Uh, in in there's like when he has his suave moments, he ha- he feels a little bit like McGann, but the rest of the time he's he's kind of goofy but smart, you know. Like, yeah, I am nodding and grinning so much at everything <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I guess Christian Kane plays um, Jacob Stone um, in this one. Um, uh, uh, great characters. Uh, the specific selections that you chose to, I think, really highlight good stories with those individual characters as well. Mm. Yeah, so. I mean, um, I'm just trying to think of the ones I said. I mean, the the point of salvation, which is one for the gaming nerds, it is just it's superb television. Even though you're really kind of playing with the same set, so just the initial premise of the point of salvation is that they are stuck within a video game and the own, only one of them is a, is like stuck within this video game and every, it's like a save point. So anytime that a person dies, they then go back to the original save point as per any video game, but only one of them remembers every time that they go through this kind of through this motion as they go trying to get through the level and um, there's some really touching moments where you see this because it's the um, <clears throat> one of the characters is basically treated not not badly necessarily, but because he's kind of the young cheeky one, it kind of becomes a thing of, yeah, we're not going to listen to him because he's the young cheeky one. So he because he's having to deal with watching them die constantly because of this kind of loop, you see him grow as a character and it's really touching, really touching in terms of character development. And um, 
as you get like towards the end of the episode things kind of really shake up and it's great i don't want to spoil it any more than that but it's it's a really good episode um yeah, I love. I just love. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it was a really that... great introduction episode uh, for mm, the three. Yeah. Like if we, if I had just watched the three of those, I really an excellent one because I think I would have not liked that character, um, mm. imme- as much as I did because of that episode. Uh, as far as comedies are concerned, Groundhog Day is my favorite comedy, and mm. it has a real Groundhog Day feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. Brent, I I feel like I stepped on your your. So go ahead. Oh no, it's fine. I was just gonna say that was uh, that was a great episode. Uh, I saw it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, which a lot of these are, and um, it um, it's like you said, it starts out pretty funny seeing them get killed over and over, and and the same line from Stone saying "some master thief" when he's cutting all four <laughs> wires over and over. That made me laugh. Uh, but we're we're seeing it from Ezekiel Jones point of view so the beginning is funny and he thinks it's funny but then you know it it turns when he's sick of seeing his friends die and then it becomes serious um as as he does so uh, i'm guessing he's not normally that kind of character no he he is definitely more the cheeky chappy techie um who is kind of out for himself particularly like what's nice about the the whole series as well is all of our characters that we love grow so from series one where he's kind of he's in it really because it's interesting it's he's not in it to actually support the library he's in it because well i might as well do this because it's interesting and this is a bit more interesting than my day-to-day life and all of them kind of have their own reasons for staying some of them and and watching these characters grow i mean there's a i think there's a few moments in the beginning of the first series where uh, two of the characters and i won't say who just in case you do want to go and watch it don't have a very easy relationship due to what something that happens in the pilot and that 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 completely kind of ends up like growing as you go on these these characters do actually go through arcs and relationship changes and it's just really nice um and like the same with um so there's one character and i'm not going to spoil it because if you're definitely watching it i'm <laughs> definitely not going to spoil it for you but there's one character who i honestly adore um and he he again really changes throughout the series from the beginning towards the end and um yeah it, it's just i just don't want to spoil it for anybody but yeah. it, it it just it fills me with such joy just thinking about the characters because they're so well developed they're so well rounded they've they've got their flaws they've got their really good points you know how they interact with each other i think there's an episode where um i think there's an episode where like two out of the four get really drunk and i can't remember which episode it is but it is astonishingly funny to watch because you're just not expecting these two characters to get drunk and it's all part of the plot and it all makes sense. And some of it's goofy and some of it's really emotional and sometimes they deal with really like personal and difficult things and yet, you know, the comedy meeting the drama really is good. Like it just it brings some really interesting stuff and I, lo- I love it so much. Well, I, again, I think I've mentioned this to you before. If if you like this, you're going to love Leverage. It's essentially the same show um, with a different 
kind of theme to it, right? It's like magic isn't a part of it. It's all about crime and heists. But if well, you like those, to me, too. <laughs> Dean Devlin, John Rogers, um, mm. you know, directed a lot of Jonathan Frakes directed episodes. <laughs> One of the actors is the same, so you already have a built-in kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk Sounds about this the second episode a little bit. Um, to the eternal question, mm. um, I think the, the three that you got were such so good because we really get to focus on. Um, uh, one of the characters I, 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 that if <clears throat> if you watch the uh, two part pilot, you get this interesting relationship with this character. Again, don't want to spoil mm-hmm. it for anybody, and that character re- is really focused on in, in in this one, and it's a really interesting take because it it th- starts off as a mystery. It also mm-hmm. starts off in Charleston, South Carolina which is essentially an hour south of where I grew up. So as everyone's sweating on, on in the heat in the golf course, I'm like, yeah, I've been there, man. Um, <laughs> it was the, the closest I've seen of, of like what my <laughs> growing up as a kid was like ever presented on television. Um, and I'm just realizing that I was like, I really want to talk about it, but if I talk about it, I'm going to spoil <laughs> the main plot of it. So uh, I really liked it. That's all I'm going to say. Now I, I, I feel like I set that up, but I can't, I can't really get into it um, mm. <laughs> without ruining every aspect of it. So. Yeah, I think that's the only issue with librarians is you want to tell everyone everything, but the enjoyment of the show is to not get spoiled. It's not like <clears throat> uh, there are shows that you can kind of like lay like little like nuggets in for people and there's still enough there to... Uh, shock you with mm-hmm. with with the librarians you want to you want to learn and absorb as you're watching it it's it's not as fun to turn around to someone and say yeah and this happens and this happens because because the librarians is so relationship heavy and like the relationship with the plot is always tied in that it feels so much worth is going right you're sitting down now and you're watching this with me <laughs> like it just feels like yeah. that would make so much that- more sense that's the same way that I do with Red Dwarf. Uh, every episode I've ever seen, I don't read about it. I just watch it. Mm. I don't read what it's about before it's on. I think that's the only show I do that to, just because their concepts are so unique. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like this show is like that, too. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the the word I would use to describe this show is fun. Uh, mm. And it has touching moments. It has personal moments. Um, but there's th- there's an underlying level of whimsy to mm. it that I think really benefits the program because yes. as grim and as dark as some of the situations they find themselves are in, it's usually bookended with something kind of fun. I mean, clearly, if you get to the final season and they know they're going to end the season, they're they're wrapping things up and things get a, a little darker um, on, mm. in that sense. But you're going to find that with any kind of series um especially if you want a a good good ending right like not saying that Mm. you have to be grim and dark to be a good ending but Mm. um they definitely found a way to wrap things up uh that ties ties in the mythology that has been kind of planted through five seasons um Mm. i'm kind of curious just as far as characters go um i I kind of feel like which i just want to know from each of you which character resonates with you um the most like uh, is is there a character in there that you kind of latched onto well my favorite character is jenkins 
mm-hmm. um, which <clears throat> I can't spoil too much because his past is quite yes interesting and shrouded in a mystery, and I don't want to spoil that for first timers. But if anyone knows me well enough, they could probably figure out why I like Jenkins. But that <laughs> that's for another time. But no, um. Jenkins is a great character. John uh, Larroquette, I think is how you pronounce his last name, is fantastic. And he kind of plays the kind of Alfred to the librarians where he, you know, he works the magic door. He gives them advice. He teaches them things, particularly at the beginning of the series. He's very much a, well, I'm here and I should probably help you. Uh, (laughs) I've got nothing better to do. This situation is out of my control. And, you know, he's like quite wise in that sense. And as things progress, he he gets more and more involved with the team and becomes part of that unit as much as the other four being a unit of their own. And it's it's quite magical. And um, I just love how he he kind of. Again, I, I can't say too much, but his his history also makes it really fascinating. And uh, yeah, I love him. Uh, I think. The other character I really loved was Jake, Jake Stone, who we've already mentioned, who is the kind of the, the brawler who actually inside is a poet. And I, I find that like a really nice way of looking at this kind of character. I, I, I feel like he is the more Indiana Jones of them all. Like he is the one that I, I kind of imagine would be the one who would run off and look for artifacts in, in caves and things. He has that kind of demeanor about him, but also he's quite, he is like as he progresses it almost feels like he isn't ashamed to be soft and tender and kind despite obviously on the on the outside he looks like he could really give you a really big kick in um but he is actually really nice and all of his issues with his image are something that does carry on through the series and really interesting to look at in kind of that masculinity sort of way and I just, I think he's great. So Jenkins and Jake, I adore. How about you, Brent? Well, I haven't watched enough to to establish a really good opinion, but um, I really enjoyed Flynn um, in the movie, and I saw him pop up a couple of times in these episodes too. Um, but of the regular cast, I would I would probably go with Stone also. He stood out to me, um, so I really liked him. Yeah, I'm a Jenkins man myself. Uh, big, big fan of Jenkins. Also Stone. I mean, but like, um, the character is very similar to the kind of in the way that they, they portray uh, the same actor's character in Leverage, um, and mm. which is a we tough exterior kind of heart of a poet, which is really nice. Um, yeah, if you were if you were to receive a invitation from the library to become a librarian, would you accept it? Yeah, yeah, I think I would. If 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 the library thought I was good enough for it, then because the library itself is a persona on its own, which is again really fascinating to get into. There are certain episodes where they deal with that, and it's really great fun. Um, for the library to be like, no, yeah, you you can do this, makes me feel comfortable. <laughs> like if I was if I wasn't offered an invitation and I was invited into the library, I'd be a bit skeptical. Like I'm not supposed to be here, but. If I was invited by the library, I would feel like, oh no, they think I'm good enough, so I'm probably good enough. 
So I think that's 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 my reasoning for being like, yeah, library, let's go. I <laughs> want to see all your awesome artifacts. How about you, Brent? Yeah, I'd be open for that. Um, that's sort of like the um, would you take a ride in the TARDIS question, which absolutely. Right, sure, 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 yeah. Um, before I became a librarian, I was a curator in museums, uh, curator and educator. So yeah, that's that's it's a hundred percent my dream job right there. Which is another reason why this show is so incredibly appealing to me. Um, yeah, so thumbs up all around. It sounds like for the librarians, definitely recommend it to any of our listeners. Um, mm. Sophie, before we let you go, um, you you've kind of hinted and alluded that there's a couple of projects coming up that you you're working on, but um, you want to plug those upcoming projects and maybe let people know where they can find you online if you want to be found? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll start off with where you can find me because it's probably easier than most things. Um, so you can find me on Twitter mostly under Soph Isles Tweets. So S-O-P-H-I-L-E-S-T-W-E-E-T-S. And that's where I talk most of my nonsense about Doctor Who, where I share most of my artwork and any news or exciting things that I'm talking about. Um, as for what I'm doing at the moment, I'm doing a lot. Some of it I can't talk about, <laughs> which is really annoying. But I can tell you that I'm um, writing a book series that uh, should be out starting out this year. So uh, do keep an eye out for that. Fans of librarians probably would enjoy it, but I'm not going to go into why. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm probably still really under hush-hush until the publishers um, are good with me talking about it. But, yeah, I think people will enjoy it. I think it's good fun. Um, I can talk about the uh, fanzine that I'm doing. So people who may or may not know me, uh, a few years ago I did an Ian and Barbara uh, fanzine which was called Mild Atrocities, and I had, I think it was about 12 stories in the end, and they were all different stories about Ian Cheston and Barbara Wright across their kind of spanning uh, lifetime, lifeline, as it were, from uh, before they went into the TARDIS and after, including stories about Johnny Chess, who was a spin-off character, made, I believe, for the um virgin new adventures and stuff like that anyway we make we raised some money for that and it went really well and um last year because my mum passed away i really wanted to do something for the hospice that she was in so my friend was like well why don't you do like one more charity anthology because i was saying that i wouldn't do another one but because it felt like a really important cause i am doing that now so uh hand to hold fanzine um will be out hopefully at some point uh, over the spring or summer. We have some really amazing contributors. I cannot name them yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have uh, some lovely people doing the forward and the afterward uh, for it and including some wonderful artists doing some artwork and wonderful writers. But the whole anthology is going to be uh, uh, stories about family, whether they are family that we all know and love, like the Tylers or the Ponds, to family we create on the TARDIS or out of the TARDIS. So um, we're going to have like a range of stories across the Doctor Who universe. And I'm really excited to share it with you guys because if it's anything like the synopsis I got, I'm still waiting on my writers to give them to me. So I'm very, very <laughs> excited. I, I'm in that lovely stage of 
they, they're just writing now. I just need to wait for them to give it to me before I start panicking. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to sharing that. And what I'm hoping to do, because um, uh, I'll probably do a digital release, so there'll be a PDF or ebook available um, for those who don't want to purchase a physical copy, whether that's too much for them or budget, whatever. But we are also hoping to sell a pin. So the pins will probably be inspired by what's on the cover or previous um, kind of promotional artwork. So if you don't want to put money towards um, the book, you can always buy a digital copy and a pin. And then that pin, all that money will then go towards the, the hospice charity. And in memory of my mum and other people who've had um, problems recently. And um, yeah, I think it will be a really nice thing to do and hope to make some good money for it. But I'm also hoping to um, sell the Mild Curiosities again to, in to be included with that. So if you missed out on uh, the Ian and Barbara fanzine the first time, you should be able to get a copy this time along with the, um, the new anthology as well. Um, so that's coming, so that shouldn't be too long, and just trying to think if there's anything else in particular that's coming. Um, I'm, I'm seen at events across the UK, so you can find me at quite a few conventions. I'll be uh, dithering around on Big Finish Day, which is what I attend every year, um, if you do attend that in the UK, and I'll be attending Hooverville as a trader and I do attend London Film and Comic Con, which is this weekend. So if you are looking for some Doctor Who art, do come find me. I will be trading in the art in the um the art area. So um do come find me there. And I think at the moment that's all I'm allowed to talk about because everything <laughs> else is out. Um, but you can find anything that I have out or you're interested in. I do have on my website. So. Uh, and you can find any of my most recent news or if you want to find out more about my writing for Doctor Who magazine or my Big Finish short trip and where to find it or any of my original fiction you'll be able to find it on my website and um, hopefully that will help Well Sophie, thank you so much for, for joining us today Thank you for having me And thank you for joining us on Who and Company Who and Company, come for the fandom Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Hello there. Let's take a moment to talk about libraries. A library is a magical place with books that can transport you to the farthest reaches of your imagination. The library is magical, period. I, I mean, it literally harnesses the power of magic to stop all hell from breaking loose. Literally. A library has books about the Holy Grail. The library has the Holy Grail. Two, actually. Trust me, there's nothing better than getting lost in a book, except getting lost in a labyrinth with a minotaur and his sister. 
think like a librarian, it may save your life. Yes, Alexander, it's working. It's good.